Felicitations to one and all. This is On The Ledge podcast. And in this week's show, we're talking facts, facts, facts about houseplants, of course. I'm your host, Jane Perone, And in this week's show, I bring you 31 houseplant facts, one for every day of the month. Perfect to fill those awkward gaps in conversations at family gatherings this festive season. I find myself learning loads of cool stuff about plants through the making of On The Ledge, but sometimes I come across stuff that just doesn't fit into any particular episode of the show. So in this week's On The Ledge, I am providing an information dump in the form of 31 fascinating houseplant facts that you can use in any way you wish. I'm going to say my boring yada 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 thing that I say every week, but I do really mean it. Go and look at the show notes where you'll find all of these facts, plus things like academic papers where I mentioned them. All of the references are in there if you want to look at those where I've referenced academic papers. We're not beating around the bush this week. Let's crack on with our first fact. concerns the string of pearls plant, aka Curio rolianus, the plant formerly known as Senecio rolianus. And as the name suggests, this plant's leaves are basically little tiny globes. I think they look more like peas than pearls. But have you ever wondered about the pointy tip at the end of each of those tiny green spheres? If you're a botanist, that's what you call a mucro. M-U-C-R-O. Fact two. Talking of members of the genus Curio, that genus was named by the botanist Paul V. Heath, not after the word Curio, which is usually defined as an interesting or fascinating object. It's often something that's either rare or strange, but after a Roman orator named Gaius Scribonius Curio and his son of the same name. Fact three. One other notable species in the genus Curio is Curio articulatus, commonly known as the hot dog plant because its succulent stems look a bit like hot dogs. Maybe one that's been left to go mouldy for a very long time. It does grow leaves out of those strange hot dog shapes and has also earned the common names candle plant and pickle plant. And like so many of the succulents we love, it's native to South Africa. I've often thought that somebody with a bit of a talent for botany could have some fun by growing a hot dog plant next to a bun. Specifically, philodendron fun bun. The only fly in the ointment is that Philodendron fun bun is more of a marketing name dreamt up by nurseries and its correct scientific name is Thermatophyllum sprucianum. It somewhat ruins the gag, doesn't it? You might also see this sold as Philodendron 
Goeldii, which is another scientific name it's been given, although that one's also been superseded by Thematophyllum spruciarnum. Fact 4. Talking of houseplants that look like other things, the cactus genus Mammillaria comes from the Latin mammilla, meaning nipple. And that's referring to the little lumpy outgrowths that you find on Mammillaria species. This is what botanists would call a tubercle, which comes from the Latin word for lump. Hence, it's sometimes known as the nipple plant, or if you prefer, you can call it the pincushion cactus. Fact five. Talking of genus names and their origins, Chlorophytum is the genus name of the spider plant, Chlorophytum camosum. But Chlorophytum simply translates as green plant. Ironic, really, given that the vast majority of spider plants grown in our homes are variegated cultivars rather than that plain green original. Fact 6. The award for the worst common house plant name has to go to the chicken gizzard plant, Irisine herbstii. The variety that is most often called chicken gizzard is Irisine herbstii oreo reticulata, which has pinkish red stems and yellow and green leaves. I don't really remember what a chicken gizzard looks like, and I don't fancy googling a picture, but I'm just going to assume that it looks something like the leaves. Anyway, the species has these dark red leaves, and that's usually called the beetroot or beefsteak plant. And not surprisingly, in its native South America, this is used as a food colouring because it's just so bright red. Second prize for the worst common house plant name goes to the plant with the scientific name, Myrtillocactus geometrizans cultivar Fukuro curiusinboku, with the deeply awful common name, Boob or Booby Cactus. Why say boob cactus when you can say Matillocactus geometrizans cultivar fukuro korean zimboku? <sighs> Fact 7. The ZZ plant, aka Zamiococcus zamifolia, is the only member of the aroid family that can reproduce from fallen leaflets. This is a strategy the plant uses to save water during droughts and spread itself into clumps. Fact 8. Say polka dot plant, and you're probably thinking about Begonia maculata, but those of us who've been on this earth a little bit longer and were around for the last houseplant boom may remember when Hypoestes philostaca was the polka dot plant and this is a plant often recommended for terrariums but where it grows wild in Madagascar it grows up to a metre tall. Check the show notes for a picture of it in its native habitat and this plant has become invasive in parts of Australia. Fact 9. Do you say Gesneriad or Jesneriad? The good news is I don't mind how you say it, and I don't think there is one right answer to that question. The name of the Gesneriad family, which includes African violets, Streptocarpus and Escenanthus, more on that later, comes from Gesneria, 
a genus of subshrubs and shrubs, almost all of which are native to the islands of the Caribbean. If we were talking about animals, this would be known as the type genus, but this term doesn't have an official botanical meaning. According to the International Code of Nomenclature for Algae, Fungi and Plants. If you're wondering why you haven't seen Gesneria down your local garden centre, they're not that popular as houseplants because they are really rather hard to grow. And Gesneria was named after the Swiss naturalist Conrad Gesner. Or is it Jessner? Fact 10. The small orange-yellow flowers of the velvet plant, Gynura aurantiaca, smell bad. Yes, the beautiful velvety purple foliage is something to behold, but how bad is the smell when those flowers emerge? Some describe the smell as resembling B.O., while others say they get a hint of gym sock plus a festering wound, or Cheetos and feet. Researchers have been tinkering with adding growth regulators to stop the plants from flowering, but the easiest way is just to chop them off before they open. Another plant with a heinous smelling flower is the popular succulent Crassula muscosa, the watch chain succulent. Cheesy feet all the way. Fact 11. The world's smallest known bromeliad is Tillandsia minutiflora, native to parts of Argentina, Bolivia, Paraguay and Peru. They grow in clusters, but each plant is about the same size as a matchstick. And magnified, each plant looks like a tiny segment of a Christmas tree. Fact 12. Talking of Christmas trees, I have bought a potted Christmas tree this year rather than a cut one. I've opted for Araucaria heterophylla, aka the Norfolk Island Pine. Named because it comes from the tiny islands off the coast of Australia called Norfolk Island. And it also occurs on Phillip Island nearby, which is even tinier. The Norfolk Island pine is grown as a street tree in places like Hawaii and South Africa, and it's part of the ancient plant family of conifers named the Araucariaceae. There are supposedly golden and silver-tipped varieties, but I've never seen any of these for sale in the UK, although they were available in the past and certainly caused quite a stir. Tom's Weeds, the story of Rochford's and their houseplants by Mia Allen, reports the excitement when the sport Silver Star, which is described as having fronds stiff as a ballet dancer's tutu, tipped and bordered with silver, so that when you look down at it, its seven radiating branchlets look like a silver star. This was shown in 1912 by the nursery, and Tom and colleagues were swept back in the excitement, and the plant was sold at a guinea a go, which in 1912 was a lot of money. And then the book reports that this cultivar disappeared during the First World War period. I'd love to know if anyone's found one. The later generation of Rochfords became very famous in the UK in the 50s and 60s for really establishing the houseplant trend here. Unfortunately, the nursery is lost to history. It no longer exists. Fact 13. 
According to anecdotal evidence I'm hearing from garden centres, potted Christmas trees of all kinds are proving particularly popular this year. If you do buy a potted tree or even a cut one, one thing to watch out for is conifer aphids. And I have seen some horror stories in inverted commas in the press about people who've found their trees are infested. These are a group of several aphid species that are kind of meaty looking that specialise in conifers and they can be removed in the same way as any other aphid sprayed off or you can use insecticidal soap. So if you're bringing a Christmas tree into your home, do give it a good check over before you do so. Fact 14. Another Christmas plant. The Schlumbergera or Christmas cactus. The history of the Schlumbergeras that make up the array of Christmas and Thanksgiving cacti is very confusing, dating back to the early 1800s when these plants started to be collected in South America. There is one easy way of classifying what kind of Schlumbergera hybrid you have, aside from noting when it flowers, of course, which is not always reliable. Those hybrids that are classed as the Christmas cactus often called the Buckleyi group, have pink pollen, while the Thanksgiving or Truncata group have yellow pollen. Fact 15. Garden writer Tova Martin reports in her book Once Upon a Windowsill that Ficus elastica, aka the rubber plant, caused a lot of distress to Victorian growers who loved the plant but didn't like the fact that it would weep latex, that milky sap, when cut. So, how did they treat it? Well, they would apply a raw, hollowed-out potato to the cut. I've no idea if that worked. Fact 16. National Take Your House Plant for a Walk Day takes place on July 27th every year, sharing the spotlight with National Walk on Stilts Day. Just don't try combining those two days in one it's just going to end in disaster. Fact 17. Funnily enough, there is a houseplant that looks like it's walking on stilts. Sansevieria pinguicula is known as the walking Sansevieria. And it grows in a particular way, sending out these horizontal stolons, a bit like a strawberry plant or a strawberry saxifrage. And then that stolon roots into the ground above ground so the plant looks as if it's walking on stilts after a manner at least check out the show notes for a paper by a friend of the show dr colin walker all about this plant fact 18 my wishlist plant for 2022 is Begonia chingi pengii from the Philippines. An absolutely beautiful rhizomatous begonia with dark green leaves with paler veins. It's a species only described in 2014. How incredible that it's already available for us growers. This plant was named after the Taiwanese plant taxonomist Chingi Peng, who found it while plant hunting in the Philippines. You can read the story behind Ching Yi Peng's love of begonias in his book, All for Love, Endless Trekking in Search of Begonia. Check the show notes for a link. Sadly, Ching Yi Peng died 
in 2018. Fact 19. The term cordisiform plant seems to have been around forever, but it was in fact coined by the British succulent expert Gordon Rowley, who claimed he'd exhumed it from 19th century works on gardening. Rowley defined a cordex as the axis of a plant consisting of stem and root, usually used in reference to the trunk or stem of palms and ferns. In succulents, that swollen perennial organ, composed of stem or root or both, and above ground or below, from which arise slender, usually ephemeral, photosynthesizing organs. And cordisiform, well, that just simply means a plant that has a cordex. I'd love to get my hands on Rowley's book, Cordisiform and Pachycool Succulents, Pachycools, Bottle, Barrel and Elephant Trees and Their Kin, a collector's miscellany, published in 1987. But it's currently nearly £300 in the second-hand bookstores, so maybe that'll have to wait. Fact 20. Back to smelly flowers now. Geoflory is a botanical term for producing flower at ground level. And this is usually adopted by plants as a way of aiding pollination by things that are on the ground, be that mice, insects or otherwise. And they mimic the smells of things like carrion, faeces and mushrooms, which of course would all be found at that level. One example, of course, is Aspidistra alatior, the cast iron plant whose flesh-coloured flowers are found at ground level and are designed to attract fungus gnats. Geocarpi, on the other hand, is production of fruits underground. And the best-known example is the peanut, Arrakis hypogea. Fact 21. Moon cacti, those brightly coloured cacti sat atop a green stem, often fail. Don't worry if this happens to you, it's really not your fault. They're only really designed to be temporary companions because the two plants involved aren't really that compatible. They really are the botanical equivalent of a cut and shut car. The green base is dragon fruit, one of the Hylocereus species, and the colourful top is a chlorophyll-lacking cultivar of the cactus Gymnocalcium mihanovicii. Now, the gymnocalciums need the hylocereus because they don't have enough photosynthesizing power of their own. But, as I say, this is often a doomed relationship because the dragon fruit, well, that just wants to grow into a massive, sprawling epiphyte. So, from a sustainability point of view, I'd say leave those moon cacti on the shelf. Fact 22. I mentioned Escenanthus earlier. Now, you may have always wondered how to say this name. It's the genus name of the lipstick plant. It looks almost impossible to say. It's spelt A-E-S-C-H-Y-N-A-N-T-H-U-S. How on earth? Well, just break it down. It's S-K-N-A-N-T-H-U-S, with the emphasis on the nan. That's my best attempt anyway. This genus has about 160 species and they all come from subtropical parts of Southeast Asia. And its red tubular flowers are typically pollinated by sunbirds. And the name comes from two Greek words, Aiskruno, which means to be ashamed, and Anthos, which means flowers. I've no idea why you'd be ashamed of red flowers, but there you go. Fact 23. 
The word cashpo or cash pot, French for pot cover, came into the English language in the late 19th century. I found some amazing instructions for making your own bamboo cash pot using lengths of bamboo strung together on wires in a book called Every Man His Own Mechanic, which came out in 1890. And it was designed to resemble an earthenware pot that has the same kind of greeny browny tints and presumably was designed to look like bamboo. But this is a version where you could actually make the whole thing out of bamboo. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to try to recreate that at home. Fact 24. Medinilla magnifica or the rose grape is one of those houseplants that many of us have tried to grow and many of us have failed with. It's really not that easy to grow. This one is from the Philippines. So maybe if you live in a subtropical or tropical climate, you'd have more luck. King Baudevane of Belgium was a big fan of the rose grape and he liked to grow them. Well, I don't think he probably grew them. It was probably his lackeys. But anyway, they were grown in his royal conservatories and featured on a banknote. The 10,000 Belgian franc note featured Medanilla Magnifica. I don't know if there are any other houseplants featured on banknotes around the world. Do let me know. Fact 25. Thomas Rochford of the nursery that I mentioned in Fact 12 did some incredible stands at the Chelsea Flower Show in the 50s and 60s, and their stand in 1969 featured a plant that you may not have come across as a houseplant, but clearly it was popular in the UK then, a Carsonia spicata, an evergreen member of the Aurelia family, commonly known as the cabbage tree. It comes from South Africa and has amazing leaves that look a bit like snowflakes. Fact 26. The tiny Lord Howe Island produced not one, but two hugely popular Victorian houseplants. Howia fosteriana, which is still widely grown today as a houseplant. You probably know it as the Kentia palm. And Howia belmoriana. In the trade, these were known as bells and forsters. But fosteriana won out in terms of growing in homes, although you can still find belmoriana being grown outside in places around the world. It was fosteriana that really won over the 20th century as a houseplant because it was just a little bit easier to grow and more suited to our homes. You can find out the full story of Harrier Fosteriana in my book Legends of the Leaf out next April. Plug over. Fact 27. Don't believe everything you read about houseplants in nursery descriptions. Gapertia orbifolia often still sold as Calathea orbifolia, is often described as a Bolivian plant. But if you check out Plants of the World Online, which is, in my opinion, the most reliable source of information, it's actually from two regions of Brazil. Fact 28. The strawberry saxifrage, Saxifragus dolonifera, is one of my favourite houseplants and it's well suited to those of us turning our heating down this winter because it likes colder temperatures indoors. One thing you may not know is that in traditional Chinese medicine, Saxifragus dolonifera was used as a herbal remedy for hemorrhoids. Don't try it at home, folks. Fact 29. We tend to think that the whole indoor jungle thing 
is a new phenomenon. But in fact, looking back through history of the last 200 years at least, it's all been done before. Take clothing the walls of your rooms with climbers. Today, it might be a devil's ivy, Epipremnum aureum, or a philodendron hederatium, both aroids that take centre stage. But in the Victorian age, people were clothing whole rooms with heterohelix. Yes, that's English ivy. Often doesn't do well in our homes that are centrally heated, but Victorian homes, it did very well in. Let me read you an extract from Vic's Family Magazine, dated 1879. This is a letter from Mrs. L.S.W. from Minerva, Ohio. She writes, The favourite of all my houseplants is my English ivy, the branches in all measuring 85 feet, and the beauty and cheerfulness it gives to our cosy little sitting room is not to be described. It extends from floor to ceiling, then almost around the sides of the room, reframing many of the pictures, and the large green leaves are so pretty over the white paper. Strangers entering the room begin with, oh, the O oh growing stronger and stronger until their eyes reach the end of the many branches. Truly, a rare old plant is the ivy green, and I would advise all who have none to obtain one immediately, as nothing will give so much satisfaction. So there you go. That was the indoor jungle of 1879, a heck load of English ivy. Fact 30. One species that has fallen from favour when it comes to growing as a houseplant, and that is the salak palm. And I'd never heard of this until I got hold of a book called Your Indoor Plants from Aspidistra to Zalaka by Juliana Crow. Back in 1952, the scientific name was Zalaca edulis, which Juliana describes as a handsome feather palm with shining leaves and pink flowers that comes from Malaya, which is, of course, modern day Malaysia. Nowadays, the Latin name is Salaca, Zalaca. I love that, uh, which is... Now, I don't know whether this was just included because it was the only plant that began with Z back then. At the time, the Zamiococcus zamiofolia, although it had been brought to the UK in the 1800s and was on display at Lodge's nursery, did not enter the houseplant trade until the 1990s. So maybe it was just included because it was the only houseplant, vague houseplant beginning with Z. But it certainly is a useful and much grown tropical plant in Southeast Asia. And it's called snake palm because the fruits have this scaly skin that looks a little bit snaky. So salak palm, if anyone's growing this as a houseplant, (laughs) I'd love to know. And finally, fact 31. If you've heard a houseplant described as farinaceous, but had absolutely no idea what that meant. Here's the answer. It means that the plant has got a kind of a flowery bloom on its leaves that's known as farina or epicuticular wax. This is also known as glaucous leaves or a bloom on the leaves of houseplants. And this is really common to plants that live in high light conditions 
protecting those plants from high levels of radiation from the sun and as well as repelling water it also helps to protect the plant from diseases and pathogens and insects that might be trying to attack them very important when you're living in an environment where life can be tough and of course farina means any powdery or mealy substance great examples of plants with farina farinaceous plants or epicuticular wax if you prefer are Kalankoe thersifolia, the flapjack plant or the paddle plant with its amazing large flat leaves with this kind of powdery bloom on them. And many of these species in genera like Echeveria and Pachyphytum also have this same covering. Bear in mind when you're touching these plants, it will leave a mark because you're removing that farina and oftentimes that is then gone it's not replaced so just be careful when you're handling these plants because it can damage their appearance so farinaceous see if you can slip that into a festive conversation this christmas well that's all my facts blurted out for your entertainment i hope you enjoyed that and maybe you've got some fascinating houseplant facts that you'd like to share with me I always love to hear from listeners. Do drop me a line to ontheledgepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to Yale and Laurie who became legends this week joining the Patreon clan. And I'm hearing from lots of you on Patreon that you're receiving your cards, which is great news, especially those who live far away from me here in the UK. It's great to hear that listeners in America and Canada are getting their cards. If you are in Australia or New Zealand, do let me know if your card arrives because those were the ones sent out first. I know they've got further to go. So it's delightful to see you all enjoying that lovely hand lens gang design. If you go to my social media, Instagram is j.l.perone. You can see what I'm talking about. And as ever, details of Patreon are in the show notes for you to check out. That's all for this week's show. I will be back next Friday. I'm off to put up some Christmas decorations now. I hope that whatever you're doing with your plants this week, you take some time to look after yourself and remember that you, yes, you, the person listening, are doing great and you're worth it. I'm telling you, it's true. Bye. you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by the Joy Drops Nothing Like Captain Crunch by Broke for Free and Overthrown by Josh Woodward All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons Visit the show notes for details <laughs>